Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to the Colts Cover 2 podcast. Uh, A little bit of a break here just because of the Thursday night game last week. Uh, Nate got his hiking in after. I did mine before in Denver. Um, Colts are 2-2-1. It seems kind of improbable to say that given the way the offense has played so far. Uh, But already with the first comeback around for a game, they've got the Jacksonville Jaguars this week at home. Probably the worst game of the season was at Jacksonville, although that's often the worst game of the season uh, with this team. But, Nate, did you bring a mascot? I did. It's baseball. It's what I brought I'm, here. I'm surprised, I'm surprised you brought that because yesterday was rough for the for a fa- it was, uh, Cleveland. It was tough team. for the Cleveland Guardians, but it's been a great year overall. They're in the divisional, even though they have half as many home runs as the team they're facing, the Yankees. But – it does connect to what we're talking about because right now the Colts score like a baseball team. Uh, <laughs> they just won 12 to nine, uh, <laughs> but it was it was nine to six, and it should have ended nine to six. But Russell Wilson decided yet again to throw into the end zone when he could have won a game. Stephon Gilmore picks it off. Uh, Colts come back. They win 12 to six. All field goals that went Chiefs McLaughlin. 12 to nine. That's right. It's hard to remember all the field goals. It's, no, it's, it's fair. It, it was kind of an offensive explosion for the Broncos to get there. But uh, twelve to nine, one Chase McLaughlin AFC champ, AFC uh, special teams player of the week. But one right Chase now, McLaughlin three run home run. Yeah, you could say it that way. It was like he was like um, he was like Gordon Alvarez for the Colts. <sighs> Poor Mariners fans. Apologies to any Mariners fans that are out there. But um, that was rough. Yeah, they're they're scoring like a baseball team right now, and it's it's just. Side note, I'm, I'm from Cleveland, so it's been a fun season for me uh, seeing the Guardians, who were never supposed to be in this point, get to this point, even with the youngest team in baseball. And for a while there, the way I would connect it is that that team started out 7-12, and 12, and it looked like a rebuild, and it was the youngest team in baseball, and everyone was upset and negative. And then they started to just kind of pull things out, pull out tight wins, one-run wins, Games that looked low scoring and ugly, like a twelve to nine win in Denver, and people still weren't excited, but they still counted in it, and it, and it started to get it going, and then eventually, they won a division that is probably the worst division in baseball, but that's the division they play in, which is kind of where the Colts are. They don't yeah, have to there. have the best record in the NFL. They have to have a better record than the teams in the AFC South. If they can do that, they'll have a chance to get into the postseason. That's what the Guardians did. They had a series against the Tampa Bay Rays where they scored three runs in 24 innings and swept them because sometimes all you have to do is score more than the other team, even if it's not pretty and even if it's low scoring. So 12-9 to got it done this week. It's a very different sport. Obviously, you have to score in the NFL more than 12 points to have a chance. But the connection I want to make is that uh, the the fact of the matter is the Colts are 2-1. Two, two and one. Uh how they got there, you know, they have the last-ranked offense, last-ranked rushing offense, last-ranked passing offense, but they're 2-2-1, two, two and one, which means they've banked a couple wins, and they give themselves a chance to fix all of this, which 
ultimately is what the Guardians did, who started 7-12, and 12, youngest roster in baseball. 17 players made their MLB debut, and they had the lowest strikeout rate in baseball. And all it did is all, all this stuff just added up, and it let them fix what they're ultimately gr- supposed to be great at, which is pitching. They got their starting pitching going. They got their bullpen going. They won a division title. That's the route the Colts have to take. They started 0-1-1. They pulled out some early wins. No one's excited. They have an offense that barely scores. But they've got to get back to what they were supposed to do really well, which is block for Matt Ryan, block for Jonathan Taylor, have have a lethal ground game. So everything's going to come back to the individual parts getting better, the coaches getting it together. The payoff for them is even better than a baseball team because you're not just adding up individual pieces so much as – you're getting a collective lift, and that's what five guys on an offensive line have to do for Jonathan Taylor. And so all I'm saying is you're, you're currently scoring like a baseball team. Follow the Cleveland Guardians path, and who knows, maybe you can win a crappy division. That's a good segue into my mascot for the day, which is the blind side. Uh, <laughs> nice. It's, the blind side has kind of uh, taken some hits because of a movie that I actually didn't watch. It's like one of the only sports movies I know I've never oh, watched. But I don't you know. read the book. I read the book and see the thing is like I, th- I was gonna say like this is this does I don't have a Colts I don't have a Colts analogy for this but the like the original book is a combination of a personal story with an examination of how left tackles are hard to find in the NFL because it's it's such a different physical left tackles are born not made essentially uh, and some of that stuff is really good and then this movie's come out and so now the Blind Side has. Sandra Bullock and other Tim McGraw and whatever else happened in that movie. Again, I've, I've never seen it. Um, and I don't think I will because people have made fun of it so much. It's a little um, cheesy. I don't think I will because it's, people have made fun it, of it so much. It's but, more fun when you're 11 years old. But I liked, uh, like, in terms of the book, the, re- the reason to do this is just that the Colts, the Colts blind side is, is the start, I think, of – where we've gotten to on the offensive line, losing Costanzo, not adequately replacing him, um, making a decision this offseason to uh, stopgap it with someone who essentially had never played. He played it once before, literally one time. Um, and and so you, you had a weak spot there. Uh, you didn't shore it up well enough. And there's there's kind of a domino effect that's gone on. They did the same thing at right guard, and now now we're in a shuffle spot where they they don't they don't I don't think they know they don't they don't know right now what their optimal offensive line combination is. That's a bad spot to be in. Um, but maybe maybe one of their answers on the blind side is the third round pick that they got uh, in, in Bernard Ryman. Um, when I went back and watched the tape, he had the holding penalties. It, stuff like that in the moment tends to. Penalties, sacks, that kind of thing tend to color your you, – you, you make hard impressions of people. And I thought he was actually played better as the game went along. Um, not great to be, you know, to be sure, but I thought he played better as the game went along. And it's kind of where I felt like with Ryman, like you're going to have some hiccups early. He's a rookie. He's a rookie left tackle. He's a third-round rookie left tackle. The first-rounders have hiccups, let alone the third-rounders. Um but it sounded like maybe they're set on, on going forward with him. I, I think they have to be. I don't know who you put in there. D- Dennis Kelly has almost exclusively been a right tackle, I think, most of his career. Mm-hmm. He's played some left tackle, but he's been mostly a right tackle. You can't put Pryor back over there. Um, and so I think, I think 
Matt Ryman or Bernard Ryman is the guy on on the left side until um, unless there's something else I don't see coming. I don't think Ty Nseki is that guy either. The, the player that they signed to the practice squad the other day. So um, that's going to be something to watch. You know, uh, how does it look? Can he develop? Does he get better as this season goes along? Do are you maybe in a chance where in in the moment right now left tackle is this huge gaping hole? Or like, and that's that's exactly how it feels and how it has been. Um, whole offensive line, honestly, is a gaping hole right now. Um, but by the end of the season, is there a chance where you get to a place where you have an up and coming player at left tackle if if he keeps getting better? I don't know. We we don't know. We don't know if he can um, continue to improve. He does have the Colts believe he does have the physical abilities that Michael Lewis was writing about in his book. Um, before it became a movie that people hate, <laughs> um, but but and the other it's, connection it's in that, um, the other connection that is that Michael Ower was this very athletic, raw, high upside player who just didn't know how to play football yet, didn't know how to play that position, was learning. Um, that's not where Bernard Ryman is entirely, but he is new to the position. Uh, you know, he played it. He only um, played it for two years in college. For two years, he's made the transition from he was Austria. A receiver tight end before that. It's just a massive climb to go from that to NFL left tackle. It is like the hardest position to play uh, on the football field. Hardest position to play, probably either that or I would say cornerback. But the, the connection is that you're playing backwards against the best athletes in the world, and it is incredibly difficult. This is a non-quarterback division, I'm assuming. Yeah, well, I mean, quarterback, it just depends on the levels. I think playing adequate at quarterback isn't the hardest thing in the world. Playing at that elite level is. They're just they're a lot more adequate passable quarterbacks or a lot of good quarterbacks just not the great ones left tackle is much harder and right now what we're seeing is when you have a franchise left tackle retire it is just such a crippling effect on an organization that's where the rams are right now the the two most especially if you try to stop gap it the way both the rams and the colts did the two most sacked quarterbacks in the nfl right now are matthew stafford and matt ryan and the connection there the rams actually did the same thing basically the rams the rams went with joseph Notaboom, um and He's a guy who hadn't been a starter. They felt like he could promote into that spot, and it's gone terribly. And they also didn't have a first-round pick this year to replace it. That's where it's really hard to find a fix at that position unless you are dumping money in free agency, which uh, Rams didn't have, and the Colts felt like they they didn't have options or they're spending enough on the offensive line anyway. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, it's uh, the blind side is a good way to kind of look at this because that has kind of started this. I've never wanted to make it all about left tackle because – you know they didn't have a great left tackle last year either, but that is sort of where I think everything. Yeah, is I'm going back to twenty. I'm going back you to the end back. Of, of 2020, going into 2021. That's the first crack. In, is left tackle. Yep. Left tackle is the first crack, and it it's spread now. To me, this is a perfect way to show what what we've tried to say, which is the front office and the coaching staff both have to wear the failures right now in their hands. I think it is very much shared at the left tackle spot. The example here is Anthony Costanza retires, which is hard to replace that guy. They had a better chance last year with a guy like Charles Leno. They chose the front office chose Eric Fisher, which is a bad move. And then they got to a position this year where they had traded their first round pick. And the Leno Fisher decision is worse to me because of why they made it. The, the decision at the time was made because they thought Fisher had a higher upside than Leno. Um, they thought Fisher was the only guy on the market who could play at a very high level. And then Leno immediately went out and proved that wrong. Mm-hmm. It was just a, a huge um, 
it wasn't just a mistake of which player. It was also a mistake in their evaluation of those two players and what they thought they could do. Because Fisher now doesn't have a team. Um, yeah. Good, good Kevin, left tackles don't just sit out there. Kevin Bowen available. asked me this on the radio the other day, and I didn't, I didn't really have a good answer for it because I don't, I don't know. Um, he hasn't been in the picture for the Colts in a really long time. Uh, but he was like, what, what happened with Eric Fisher? Because there, there's some awful tackle situations. The, the New York Jets have lost like every tackle they've had on the roster at some point this year. And Fisher still doesn't have a team, um, which it's just, just counting on a 30-something-year-old tackle with a torn Achilles. There were risks involved in that, regardless of the player he'd been before. It blows up in the Colts' faces. Leno, this is, this is kind of old news, but it's worth revisiting as long as we're talking about the offensive line. Leno had the Leno did have the upside to play that way. Um, that he'd they also thought, never that they been thought hurt. he didn't have. They he'd thought he didn't have. And he had the floor. He'd pretty much never been hurt. He's one of the most durable players in the league. So that was a tough decision. But I take it even to this year where the, the other thing that they did is they traded their first round pick in the upcoming draft to get a quarterback. That's how you find left tackles. It's the first round. So they went with a stopgap in Eric Fisher. That didn't work out. But they also traded a pick that would have potentially been the a a better option to get the next left tackle couldn't do it so they're in a spot where they didn't know what to do so they signed Matt Pryor to be the left tackle I keep thinking about if he went back and if they just had whether it's Charles Leno first round pick some other left tackle and kept Matt Pryor at right guard this may look a lot better than it is right now Matt Pryor is a much better guard than he is left tackle he's better on the right side than he is on the left side he's told me that plenty this is a tough thing to say after last week but I think he's actually best at right tackle and he might be and that's he's a little long for guard a little bit he's a little bit like he's a little bit long too too long for guard i think that's why my understanding of him as an eagle is mostly as a tackle but with prior like they've done this before the front office has done this before with this team where they put too much weight on good sample sizes that are small last year prior was the thing that stabilize the offensive line so then they put all their chips on him he switches to a different position isn't comfortable with it you, you talked to him more than i have on this but he wasn't comfortable right necessarily right. They, they asked him to move there last year during the season or or play it more and he just kept saying i just that does not feel right to me at all and so then it was well they, they wanted him to try it again this this offseason. He was open to the idea in terms of you know, he's a free agent, tackles pay, give him more money, but that was going to take this entire overhaul of, you know, that's where he went out to Texas and trained five days a week or three days a week as a Southpaw boxer to make uh, the hips feel more natural. But it's always been a little bit different. He's a left-handed this is getting in the weeds, but he's he's left-handed naturally. And what that's they what podcasts are for. Podcast <laughs> weeds. What they say though is that, I asked him, I said what how, what does that do as a left tackle? He said, actually, it helps you more on the right side because your left hand is your your help hand. Mm-hmm. There's nothing to help at left tackle. So he's lost some of what helped him out, You know, whether he's at right guard or right tackle. That's where he's more natural over there. Problem is they they, they, they ask him to move over. And this is where I put it on coaches too. Or or you could just, you know, maybe his front office really wanted him to be a left tackle. The point is, though, they moved him to a position that he wasn't fully comfortable with. They had him do, rewire everything, his footwork, his hips, everything, his handwork, to work on the left side. And then four weeks in, they decided to flip him back to the right side on a week where they have two walkthroughs. 
and they wonder why it looks the way it is. And, and Bernard Ryman comes in, and he hasn't practiced in weeks, and he's supposed to be a left tackle. They have two tackles who hadn't practiced really at all at those spots. It's like moving guys into different positions, and this has been some of the issue. It's front office. I, I even put more of this on. Is It's not only they read into small samples. They also ask guys to do things that they've not done. Like, Moelle yeah, Cox they- has blocked well as a number two tight end. He has not done the Jack Doyle thing. Right. And right. They they just kind of assume he's more of the traditional. Moelle Cox is more of the traditional extra tackle, hand on the ground, mm-hmm. lined up there. Whereas Doyle could do a bunch of movement stuff and pulling stuff that doesn't fit really Ali Cox's body um, as well. I mean, it's harder for a tall player to get on the move and then get down and make a block. Um, but but yeah, he's not the same type of. He's not the same type of blocker. Now, when you have yeah. that guy and you have Doyle, there's a good combination there. But it's not the same thing. And that's when the Colts keep talking about what made Doyle such a good blocker, his versatility is a big part of it. it is a, you can find a lot of guys who can play that Y spot. I, don't, I think the harder part is finding guys who can do all of the different things Doyle was able to do on the move, pulling, um, out in space, all that kind of stuff, and some receiving too, um, is is the stuff that 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 I think with Ali Cox is is tougher for him because of his size. He's so tall. Whereas when he's on the line, like that's tackles are tall. His his hands are huge. He can get his he can get his hands on people and, and move some people. But it's it's different when you're trying to move them. Um, and that the going back to the front office, like the front office signed prior, and I remember. It's hard for people to remember this, but I'm, I'm going to take us back to when that happened. They made the signing, and I know you and I did a couple podcasts after, like, are they going to make another move here? Mm-hmm. Is there something else coming? Uh, I think a lot of people said that. And the feeling I got from inside the Colts building was, no, we're going to move with Pryor here at left tackle. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> or, or, or do what we said and put another – like you don't, you just. We've talked about this a lot, but you don't have to just make one signing and then a draft pick, and then like you can. The Colts can. The Colts especially have the cap space, where they can throw a lot of resources at one thing, and let it play itself out. Maybe Ryman ends up being the guy at the end. Maybe the guy you signed, the veteran guys you signed that that were out there, maybe they're not as good as as what we think. I'm trying to remember who was out there. You weren't gonna. You weren't going to throw resources at Teron Armstead. I'm going to say this again: Teron Armstead cannot, for he, he no matter how hard he tries, he can't stay healthy. He's not healthy with Miami right now. Yeah. Dwayne Brown um, was the other name, but that he's gotten hurt and he also got in trouble this offseason. So there um, weren't great options. There weren't great options, but you you could have added somebody in there, or tried to make you know. Do you send a? Do you see if you can send a draft pick to Philadelphia for Andre Dillard, and and maybe just hold a f- completely open competition knowing how important that is. Frank Reich has said before, two years ago, before Anthony Casanza retired, um, he still believes left tackle is the most important position. Even with teams emphasizing the interior rush, even with teams moving their best pass rusher over to the left side of the defensive line to f- rush against the right tackle, he still feels like the left tackle spot is the most important. And they were they were comfortable going with prior. And that was when they didn't know they would get Bernard Ryman. And you know that they weren't sure they were going to get him because he wasn't one of the first two picks they made. The first two picks they made were wide receiver and tight end. If they really felt like they were going to get a player in the draft, he would have been one of those two picks, or a left tackle would have been one of those two picks. So um, just conceptually, just not enough. 
and and betting on a small sample size from from prior betting on a small sample size from Danny Pinter and that's another good example of yeah. another position like what they'd seen in Pinter was at center. Yeah. Center is different than guard. Very There's much. a lot more power re- required at guard where you're you're not getting to the second level as much. You know, like the center position you try to get that out and pick off linebackers. Guard, you're going to play. You're going to be going against tackles. Pinner's power and his lack of strength has been an issue, and that's why he's not there anymore. So, they did this in a couple of spots, and now you have an offensive line that I think can't. I. It's hard. Ryan Kelly, I think, has been declining for a little bit. Um, he was hurt a lot, banged up a lot when he was younger, and it feels like maybe that's catching up to him. It's hard to tell. If it's, I shouldn't say it's hard to tell if he's declining. It's hard to tell if that's the reason. Um, because Anthony Costanzo was a guy who was banged up a lot when he was younger, and then Rusty Jones fixed something with his strength, and he got like his health. He was better towards the end of his career. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to know if that's exactly it. But Kelly's been declining, and then I think with Braden Smith and Quentin Nelson, I think the weight of everything else that's going on is pulling them down. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the I just think like when you've got especially Kelly and, and Smith both declining at the same time when it's, you know, there's been a little bit of health issues for, for Kelly starting to creep up. For the most part, though, I mean, Braden Smith that we know is healthy. They're both in their prime. It just feels more like that right guard spot has just hurt both of them. They needed they needed that more solid than it was, and that's where I go back to maybe, maybe Pryor's most natural spot is right tackle. We will – Kind of see. I could see why last offseason they didn't want to. I think Colts fans hope they don't see. Well, they're going to have to, though. <laughs> but I could see why, though, that the front office said, even if that's his most natural spot, we don't want to move Braden Smith off right tackle. He's had a nice track record there. Still, though, I still would have moved. I still would have put Pryor at right guard because, yeah, they, you've at least seen him do that some more. Yeah, maybe he's not as – maybe his length is a little better at tackle, but he's got tons of size. He's not going to get run over – the way that Danny Pinter has been run over again and again, like it just came, it just came down to a physical issue with Danny Pinter. That's why I don't. You feel bad, like you don't want to rip on a guy. You just he doesn't have it physically for that spot when teams are going to move their three technique over him because they're not going to go through Quentin Nelson. So he'll just rush the a gap, get one on one matches with Danny Pinter. He's moving backwards and he can't handle it, and that's on the front office and and the coaches for asking him to do that. So again, well, and again with Matt guard, Pryor, again with guard. I mean we. We can go back to this again, but not buttressing it so they had other options. No Chris Reed type yeah. signing. None whatsoever as far as I Jason Spriggs doesn't count. Jason Spriggs was a flyer on a player who's never really been successful in the NFL. Apologies to IU fans, but he's never really been successful in the NFL. Green Bay gave him every chance to, to win a job, and he let those chances sack Aaron Rodgers. Um so that, that wasn't the same as bringing in. They took a flyer on Reed, but Reed had been a starter and played well uh, in spots. Where Spriggs, as far as I know, and I have a fairly decent idea of it, has never really done that in the NFL. They could have brought Chris Reed back. So, Right. They, right. Yeah. They, it's weird. They, they put did, all, all this Chris money. Chris Reed did not cost very much. He was two years, $4 million, I think. What's weird about this is they put all this money into an offensive line that's number one in spending – and they did it primarily at three spots, Quentin Nelson, Ryan Kelly, Braden Smith, and then they went bargain bin at the other two spots. And, look, offensive lines do that, but you still have to be calculated enough to make it work. You can't have one position drag them down. Um, I still – I it, it's both of these things. It's, it's the miscalculation at right guard, and it's also those other guys have to 
still be better than they are. Braden Smith and, and Ryan Kelly, like, figure it out. Other teams, this other thing, dude, other teams in the league have issues at some spot on the offensive line. Injuries creep up all the time there. you got to bring in some guy. They don't get practice time. It's very hard to have offensive line depth in this league. And just to give you one example, the – the, the team that I, I bring up a lot that's built like there is the Browns. They're on their third center since the spring, and it's a guy who's played – Ethan Pochick at LSU has played less than Will Fries had ever played. They have the number one offensive line, though, because it's insulated between two all-pro guards who are playing like all-pro guards. They've tried to insulate a right guard between a center and a right tackle that they thought were really good. Those two players have seemingly declined, and that right guard is, is – worse than they've than maybe they estimated in the entire hole is like dragging the thing down and this is what the thing about offensive line is that it's about adding up the parts but it's it's getting them to play as one and either that's going to accentuate everybody and everybody plays better than they even would be individually or it's the opposite effect is that they all kind of bring each other down they're not getting the help they're not getting the connection so this is just to me on everybody it's on the front office for constructing it this way taking the bets that they have uh but it's also on the coaching staff for not getting getting this thing together at least at, a, at an average level. This has to be better than it is for the resources they have, the amount of healthy players they have. So from here on forward, it's all about they've got to build some confidence and feel for Bernard Ryman, who I expect to be the left tackle, and then some combination of the rest of that. And that's what I asked Frank Reich this week is the balance between making these changes and not just doing the same thing and, and having mistakes, but also at some point you have to build something. They can't be – running out a new offensive line every week. They can't be moving positions and asking guys to, to just do it in a walkthrough and then hope it works in a game. And he, what he said is that's the tension we're living in, which I thought was just a great way to sum up what this whole thing is. This is this is tension, but it's going to define their season. And if they figure it out, it's going to take some really good coaching right now. And th- this still can be a really good football team if that offensive line gets to an average level. If it doesn't, they're going to continue to play like uh, – like a score like a baseball team well it's funny it's funny to me because two weeks into the season um most of the criticism of senator the colts was they're not changing enough and now they're changing too much (laughs) um yeah and and the the answer is they sort of had to change they had to do something different because of what they were seeing i i want what I wonder if there's a there's a happy median somewhere. I guess my take on that is they should have made the changes in the off season. So changing it in the middle of the season. I know, season, but two weeks into the season, everyone was saying this: these people oh, are know. idiots for not doing anything different than what they've been doing and expecting yeah. different results. But I guess and my now thing, they're making changes, and everyone's like, "Well, they're idiots for making changes." Yeah. Not not you. I'm talking right, about right, right, right. The the larger picture, at all, it's it, there's a there's a there's a they're damned if they do, damned if they don't right. type of thing. And that's because of the way they're playing. Like, right. Whatever they hit on, if they ever hit on something that, that works, then people will be like, well, that's what they should have done all along. But it's just interesting to me that the, like, what we're doing now is, is what, what, what the, the collective group who is around the Colts a lot was, is going early in the season we're going, I can't believe they won't make changes. And now we're going, I can't believe they're making changes. Mm-hmm. And it just illustrates how bad it's been to me. I think that's the biggest For thing sure. is it illustrates how bad it's been is that no one's happy because nothing looks good yeah. and nothing is good. And all that ultimately matters with, with any of that, whether you change or not, is if it works. So if they kept faith in the guys they had and it built, they'd be able to say, like, this is why. You know, we, we gave them faith. We gave them confidence. We let it build. Or we had to make the necessary changes and then it got fixed. But – 
both versions have not worked. They gave some faith for a few weeks, maybe a couple weeks too long. Didn't work. They've made changes the past two weeks. Hasn't worked. My main thing that I go back on, because I know if you listen to everything we've said in this podcast, it probably sounds like we wish-wash on this a little bit too. I just think the offseason is the time for changes. That's when you find someone who can play right guard and is a right guard. That's when you find someone who is a left tackle. And so you're not having to change it on a short week and a trip to Denver and put in two tackles who haven't practiced. Like this This is – I get the, I do the mailbag each week, and everyone keeps asking, like, is there a free agent to sign? Is there a trade to make? This is not the time to be finding – tackles i mean it, it was hard in the offseason it's so hard now uh so this is the spot they're in they got to roll with what they have and this is this is kind of the bed that they've made together by and again i put it on both because again the coaching staff wanted matt prior to be left tackle so that was a conversation that uh that the front office had um collectively with them they they collectively decided to make try matt prior at left tackle and this is where they are 2018. So in 2018, taking back, taking Colts fans back to the, the beginning of 2018, um, they had a both by injuries and ineffectiveness had a big shuffle on the offensive line, and it was right about this point in the season. Um, I know because it's when I came on the beat. Uh, I came in the beat after week five, going into week six, and they solidified after week six or week seven. And a lot of it was just finding the right combination. They got Braden Smith out at right um, tackle. They tried Mark Lewinsky at right guard. So they have done it before where it's been a mess to begin, and then they've gotten it together. There's a big difference. And I know Colts fans who are listening to this are already screaming it at their, uh, in their cars or wherever they're listening to this. But one of the big differences was that one of the big changes with Anth- was that Anthony Costanzo was hurt and got healthy and played left tackle. So – that's that's the thing is, as they say, there's no Anthony Costanza walking through that door. Right, right. So that's that's the biggest difference between the, this and 2018 is that there is no Anthony Costanza unless Bernard Ryman takes some giant steps forward. Now, one of the other reasons I brought the blind side is that he has arguably, I think it's between him and Nick Chubb, or not Nick Chubb, Bradley Chubb. It's. He is arguably the hardest guy they faced all season coming off the blind side this week. Josh Allen is great. <laughs> Jacksonville Josh Allen. Buffalo Josh Allen is better, but Jacksonville Josh Allen is great. Um, I, think, I think Buffalo Josh Allen could be a pretty good pass rusher too. Um, but, but Jacksonville Josh Allen is great. He's got nine quarterback hits. The Jaguars, this is hard for Colts fans to hear or imagine because what they saw was five sacks and I think 11 quarterback hits in Jacksonville. But they've only sack, they've only, they only have 10 sacks and – five games they actually have fewer sacks than the Colts do so and their their quarterback hits is only like six more I think it's it hasn't been the pass rush that we thought we saw there but Josh Allen is great he is fantastic nine quarters this team up every time nine quarterback hits is top 10 in the NFL right now uh and and now it looks like the Colts are probably going in with a left tackle who's a rookie against him that's a scary matchup and in previous years, you could just help the left tackle because you didn't have to worry about all the other spots in the line. Well, all the other spots in the line are screwing up too. And so that, to me, is just the big glaring thing. Bradley Chubb just had two and a half sacks against this team, and now Josh Allen gets to come in here and play on a fast turf. Now, Bernard Ryman's skill set is better suited to Allen's speed than like Matt Pryor's was in week one, but it's still Josh Allen. <laughs> 
it's still, I think, the best blindside rusher that they've seen so far this season. And that's that illustrates how difficult this is, is you have to make a fix and find something when every week throws a new challenge at you. And sometimes they're tough, really, really tough. And like I said, a lot of respect for Bradley Chubb. Josh Allen is right up there with him. Yeah, he's he's messed his team up kind of every time he faces them, regardless of who plays tackle. So I'm sure he's going to have a day. And uh, and you've got Trayvon Walker on the other side, who's got the length. That's where that's where Matt Pryor's length may help over Braden Smith, who had a real tough day with him in Jacksonville. Uh, but you know the 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 one chance they have this week though is they have actual practice time. They have three practices as opposed and and the way these offense linemen were describing me when I was going around, they they really feel like Wednesday is the day to really work on double teams and, and build some cohesion. That's the that's the day you go hard, and then the rest of the week's a little bit more just kind of tighten it up and mental and, and all that kind of stuff. And so they've got to have a great week of practice, and they've got to just, yeah, they got to get more comfortable. They've got to find a way to build some confidence because that's kind of what I felt like. Bernard Ryman was out there in you know in prime time in his first game, and he hasn't practiced. That, that's where I think the penalties were coming out was this – it's jittery. It's 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 terrifying, and um, they they've got to get to a point where they play with a little bit more confidence. What I would do, or what I I expect them to do, is I still think you you got to help Ryman out. I mean, and just live with what else yeah. happens because it's Josh Allen number one. Number two, you have got to build the confidence of this rookie. Number and three, not let it's him the blind side. And number three, it's the blind side. It's uh, <laughs> it's the side it's called that the Matt blind Ryan's side for a reason. <laughs> they got to get Matt Ryan to stop fumbling. So uh, he's blind over there. You don't want to get hit in the back and then fumble, and uh, so I, I oh, this podcast has been super heavy on the offensive line, but I'm going to keep it there because the more you and I have talked about this, and the more I think about this team, the more that it just everything comes down to that. Mm-hmm. You know, they have positive developments going on in other spots. I'm going to run through them just really fast so I can get back to the offensive line, but the defense is playing well. Uh, They've had some emerging players now that they finally are playing Isaiah Rogers more. It's helping. Um, Stephon Gilmore's playing great. Rodney Thomas. Uh, the pass rush has come on the last couple weeks. Forrest Buckner. Forrest Buckner, like when, he's, when he's healthy, has been a monster. Um, offensively. Linebackers, too. Got to even shout them out. Zaire Franklin yeah, they're, leads they're the NFL in tackles. Their coverage, and their coverage in the man match stuff, and the cover three match stuff, has gotten a lot better over the last couple of weeks from, from where they were against Jacksonville. That's what, something that will help this week, I think. Um, but then on the offensive side of the ball, Alec Pierce's emergence is, is something that I don't know if any of us expected. I think I was probably higher on him than you were, and I was saying, you know, can he be a – two or three catch a game guy i didn't i don't know that i saw him being an eight catch 81 yard yeah. guy um that was a tough game he played in denver that's oh, that's yeah. an emergence that's positive um the tight ends game the game that they had previously where they had 11 targets and downfield plays and they're making stuff that that's all stuff that you can build on and, and none of it matters and, and their kicker was afc special teams player of the week we which is we i used to talk all about kicker let's do this right now the Player of the Week award is the dumbest award. <laughs> oh, come on. Give Chase his award. Like I don't like it. Give Chase his award. <laughs> it's, I mean, he it's, scored every point. It's fine. They're playing baseball, and he was he was Jordan Alvarez for the It's, uh, it's fine. Like I get it. I just – and I think the way people respond to it when it happens is is indicative of how, like, little it means. Like, it's just a way for the NFL to throw stuff out, like throw another award out. But, like – 
like when someone wins player of the week, people are like, oh, I might click like on a tweet. Like, like it doesn't mean anything at all. And, and there are weekly performances in the NFL each week that matter or that, that, that seem like they're big things and then never turn into anything. And that's part of the reason I don't like it is like, Hey, you're really great for that week, but it's a whole season and it has to keep going. Yeah. Um, I'm with you on that. The only thing I'll say about that is it, it is, it is a good uh, way to sum up kind of, where your team is and last year when i got on this beat i was like oh great another weekly award for jonathan taylor like at some point he has to roll his eyes he's winning so many of them and this like it would be shocking right now if any player on this offense won afc offensive player of the week so you've thought about it way more than i have every time every time that comes out i'm like oh yeah yeah i just don't it just doesn't affect me at all it's the worst award no i (laughs) i just think of it kind of comedically because when Chase won it this week, I thought, remember when Remember when kicker was the issue? Remember when kicker was everything for this team? And now they have a kicker, and that's, to his credit, that's a big reason they won in that game. He had three kicks of 48 or more. But, like, it, that feels like it doesn't matter. I mean, you're not going to win games 12 to 9 in this league very much. they got to have an offensive line. Well, and so then you talked about, I've already mentioned the positive developments at, at wide receiver at tight end. So you get to the quarterback. Quarterback has not been good enough. He's turned the ball over too much. But when you talk to the team, the belief from them is that the pressure is creating some of this. The the, mm-hmm. the hits he's taken, the pressure he's he's been under has, has sped him up and it's created some of this. And then we get back to where we've been this whole podcast, where I'm going to keep it, honestly, because we're getting close to when we have to get over to the Colts facility. It's the offensive line. And some of them, you know, in, in terms of trying to diagnose, like, where things went wrong, you know, they gave that big deal to Braden Smith. I'm trying to think about like whether or not they should have, like in terms of the big picture of should they have known it wasn't coming. Like, I want to take it away from like what the Colts GM has said, like what what Ballard has said, what Reich has said, and like the end of the 2020 season. I did a big story on Braden Smith, and the main source for it was Anthony Costanzo. It wasn't one of the decision makers. It wasn't somebody making a projection. It was Anthony Costanzo talking about what Braden Smith was at the time and what he was playing. And it was super, super positive about where he was as a right tackle and how his how he could do things that Costanzo couldn't, how he understood balance in a way Costanzo didn't. Costanzo was the guy who was driving the Braden Smith needs to be in the Pro Bowl discussion um, that year when everybody else was saying, hey, can we get Anthony Costanzo one before he retires? <laughs> um, you know, and so that's – that's another part of this is how do you see this coming with Braden Smith? I don't know that he was ever like truly great in pass protection and maybe they, maybe they were helping him more when they had Costanzo, but Anthony Costanzo really believed in this guy. Um, and in a way that other, in a way that you don't often get from players, like I going back to that story, I couldn't, it was during COVID couldn't get people at their lockers, whatever needed Costanzo for the story. I got him for 20 minutes to talk about another player on the phone. And he talked like it was, I I sold him. I only needed 10 and he kept going for 20. Like he was dead on in on this, like Braden Smith thing. And so in terms of signing the contract, you, if he's your right tackle, you do like there, that position is important. Like what I said earlier, there's a lot of really good rushers that rush off the left side. What he's been since he signed that contract, though, is not the guy Costanzo was talking about. Mm-hmm. And 
if you have I, like the Eagles for a while, Lane Johnson was their best offensive lineman at right tackle, and you can work around that. Yep. And Smith not was, living that up was to the Chiefs with Mitchell Schwartz at right tackle. Smith not living up to that contract and living up to what Costanzo thought he was at the end of the 2020 season plays a significant role in this too because you give him that deal assuming that you can help out a left tackle and groom one and bring one up because you can count on the right tackle developing into the player that Costanzo thought he was or that you thought he was at the or that I shouldn't say thought he was like he thought like I thought he that, it wasn't that he thought he could be that he thought he was that at that time he hasn't been that guy your blind side just fell over. Well, I mean, that's apropos for the Colts <laughs> season. Um, <laughs> but but that not happening and him not playing well, him being hurt last season and then struggling at times and now struggling again this season has compounded the problem because you do invest in right tackles now. Like there's the, not to the level you invest in left tackle, but you invest in right tackle because of some of the players that play on that side. And him not playing up to snuff – is also part of what goes into this. It's it's you expected Braden Smith to be a better player these last two years than he's been. Whether whether or not he was a high level pass protector, like a full on like shutdown guy, you expected him to be better than he's been. No doubt. There there's absolutely value to solidifying that right tackle spot. And that's what teams do when they don't have a left tackle but they have a good right one. Like you gotta have one of those sides secured. The sometimes pain. they just do sometimes if they have sometimes if they have both, they just do both. It's just so hard right. for teams to actually have both. Right. In a tackle-starved league. Well, it's like the Panthers are in this spot where they've they've been searching forever for a left tackle. But they had Taylor Moton on the right tackle, gave him a huge deal. And what it does, it, it doesn't solve the left tackle spot, obviously, but it, it it all has a trickle effect because you can use your tight end, your help, your backs more on the left side, and you can – you know, the, the quarterback has somewhere to go to the right side or the left, and at least he feels secure about one side. That really does play into this. It's just the down-to-down security and um, the, the, the knowledge of where to go when things do start to break down. They don't have that right now because the right tackle isn't isn't doing it. So their high investments are not playing at the level. Like, if they had – if, if Braden Smith and Ryan Kelly were playing like pro bowlers – and I think Quentin Nelson would be in that scenario. I think he's just being affected by them, and it will affected by the whole line. Then this this would this would be closer to an average unit. They'd still have issues. They could find some way to manage it with tight ends, with play calling. There's too much going on that's that's not working, and that's left them where they are. And so I go back to Quentin Nelson and Jonathan Taylor are all pro players that don't look like all pros right now because they're being dragged down by what's around them. And a lot of this league is about getting your stars to be able to play like stars by what they're insulated by. And so you look at a guy like like the star on this team right now is Stephon Gilmore because the defense is playing well, but he also plays on an island. He's able to he, – he's not as reliant on players around him as others are. DeForest Buckner is well, a little bit Recently more. he's gotten a lot of help from Buckner and the defensive right. line putting pressure on people. But he's not buried the same way that like a Quentin Nelson and a Jonathan, Jonathan Taylor can't do anything the way that they block right now. So I think Gilmore can has a little bit more autonomy to work through that. Michael Pittman, I think, does too. We'll see. I think we're going to see him emerge. And then DeForest Buckner, um, he's in the middle of the line. And last year, he didn't, he didn't always look. He didn't make the impact of that guy because he was the second most double-teamed player outside of behind Aaron Donald. They didn't have that, that other end spot. Now they do with Yannick Ngakwe, and I think that has helped bring out and then uh, the rise of Quiddy Pay before he got hurt and Grover Stewart. It's all brought out 
DeForest Buckner, who looks like a monster. And it's like, did, did DeForest Buckner just learn how to do this? Or is this the guy that a couple years ago had 12 and a half sacks and almost won the Super Bowl? Well, his first year here, too, they had Justin Houston and Autry. Um, and so it wasn't like it was last year where it was so easy to focus on him. There mm-hmm. were other people that they could put around. There, It was more... It was a little bit more like this year. Houston was declining um, at that point, yeah. But he still had to. He still had eight sacks. He still had to account for him. Autry was still a good player. You know, they one defensive lineman, regardless of what position it is, is going to be tough yeah. for any defensive lineman to be truly. But it's even harder for an interior lineman because it's easier to get help there, easier to get big help there. Easy. It's just easier to double team inside than it is outside. Yeah. And so my point is that I've gotten Unless questions. Unless you're the Colts offensive line. <laughs> that it's hard to block anyone. Yeah. I've gotten questions the past couple of weeks about, you know, did they did they make a mistake paying Quentin Nelson? And is Jonathan Taylor, did they overrate him? I, I'm i not saying those guys are playing – those guys are not playing as well as they have because they're being brought down by everybody else. And we, we've got to get back to – the Colts have got to get back to a point where those guys look like all pros because that's what this team is built on. And I, I just really think they're – if we ever got to that point of – this the rest of this offensive line stepping up and just being average, then you'd see Quentin Nelson executing combo blocks, getting to the second level, mauling a linebacker, Jonathan Taylor making a cut off of that and going sixty yards to the house, and it would just change all of this. So it's on the players around them, the coaches around them, spinning forward the front office to make better bets than moving guys into positions that they've never played. This is the weight of all of this is that they're wasting a couple of their best players in a league where like guys don't get to play forever. I mean, a guard might play forever. A running back certainly doesn't. And an injury can happen at any moment, like we just saw with Jonathan Taylor. So that's how serious this is. It would honestly make it a little easier to evaluate Matt Ryan too. Uh, Ryan has not Ryan has not overcome what he's been dealt, but I don't think anyone really expected him to in the first place. The whole yeah. thing with Matt Ryan was they're going to bring him in, they're going to protect him and give him a running game, and they, they've, they've defaulted on both yeah. of those loans. I would say <laughs> that the two quarterbacks who maybe, outside of Russell Wilson, who's his own level of disappointment, the two other quarterbacks who probably have disappointed the most this season have been Matt Ryan and Matthew Stafford, who are the two most hit quarterbacks and sacked quarterbacks in the NFL. These guys have long track records of being really good. Maybe they're getting old. Maybe they're getting washed up. But I think there's a very clear correlation there. Of we can't get anywhere near the best of them if they're going to be hit the way they are. And and that's 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 why that's why this so much of this podcast has been on the offensive line. It's it really is. It's the only thing with this Colts team right now. Uh, until they play average football, it's hard to properly evaluate anyone else. It just is. Like Matt Ryan hasn't been good enough. Like not saying that he has, but again, he wasn't supposed to have to play. He wasn't supposed to have to carry this team on his back. He just wasn't. That was I, never I'll, the plan. I'll put it this way: I don't think he'd be here if he thought this line would be this way. I, there, there's just no way because the whole point of if you're going to move on from Atlanta, part of it was obviously getting a chance to win more, um, and the Colts seemed like that as a nine and eight team. And the Falcons but, essentially telling him they didn't want him anymore, right? But but there was, it wasn't like he looked around the league at a whole bunch of different options. The Colts felt like the perfect fit to him based on how much the franchise you know, normally supports a franchise quarterback, and he loved the offensive line. I mean, he, he met with Ryan Kelly and, and Quentin Nelson for lunch the very first day he was here, and the idea was the biggest area that was supposed to be different for him was – well, having a having a great run game and having interior protection and all this and, and none of it's come through. So he has to play better, but I 
I, I just have a hard time evaluating him, like you've said, until we see even even remotely decent pass protection. Colts play the Jaguars this week. We didn't talk a ton about this, but Nate started with the top. Colts are 0-2 and won the division. Uh, they're 2-0 against the AFC West, which that's what everyone saw happening coming out of this season. Um, so they just need but, to move divisions and but then they'd they be good. But they need to turn this around. This this next two weeks, is as crazy as it is to say, given the way they've played, they do have an opportunity this next two weeks to kind of take control of the South. It's wild to say that, given the way they've played against the division and the way the offense has played in general. But they do have an opportunity. We'll see what happens on Sunday. For the Colts Cover 2 podcast, I am Joel A. Erickson. This has been Nate Atkins. And that's it. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of... uh human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.